Hello, Purse Strings listeners. Thank you for listening to WebmasterRadio.fm's most decorated radio series. Discover the Purse Strings listening experience in a brand new way. Introducing the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, now available for iPhone and Android. Listen to new episodes live every week or download any of the over 200 past episodes or sample from our extensive library of radio shows that every internet marketer should check out without opening up your purse. Download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in Google Play today. Want to become best friends with the single most powerful person in the country? Whether she's a Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter, we'll untie the purse strings and give you the inside track on today's woman. How to capture her attention, grow her loyalty, and create such enthusiasm about your company or product that she spreads the word with her friends and family. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Purse strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, senior principal at Carmichael Lynch Spong, as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. Webmaster Radio.fm presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And good afternoon. Welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. That's 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending. The woman. Well, first up, you've probably already heard this news, but in case not, um, you probably heard about the Economic Confidence Index. We actually are seeing uh, the U.S. economy confidence holding near a five-year high in June, which is pretty exciting. You know, pretty much everything in marketing kind of aligns with consumer confidence in some way, shape, or form, especially when we are determining uh, how much money we have to buy those products and services. Well, uh, according to Gallup's economic com- uh, confidence, is averaging a minus eight in June, which is um, about the same as May. It's actually the highest monthly score since Gallup began tracking economic confidence daily in January of 2008. We all remember 2008 really, really well, I'm sure. It's the third consecutive quarter that the index has improved. Um, You know, a lot of it is um, that even though the U.S. stock price declined in June, the Dow and S&P had their best performances in the first half of the year since, get this, the late 1990s. So those higher stock prices and increased optimism about housing prices is really what's bolstering that. And that's actually across all kinds of socioeconomic income. So even upper income, about the same lower middle income confidence is holding steady as well. Uh, but all in all, let's, let's keep in mind that most Americans they're still more negative than they are positive about the economy. A lot of it has to do with the federal debt and then the looming Affordable Health, um, Affordable Care Act, which a lot of small businesses are wondering what in the heck is going to happen there. So some companies holding back on hiring as a result of that. But just wanted to make sure, if unless you've been living under a rock, that you knew about that because, again, um, it feels like the whole marketing world kind of um, – Uh, moves around consumer confidence. Our first profile today is the reasonable luxury mom. This is a woman 35 to 45 married with kids, um, usually, you know, those preteen kids in the 
home. Uh, household income is around 75k, and they do stay home, you know, full time with those with the with that family. They struggle a lot between how to spend their money. Um, a lot of them want to actually lavish luxury items on themselves and their family, but they have a challenge with their guilt complex about that. At. And they shop to escape, and they actually go in store and shop. So, because it provides that great escape, at the same time, you know, they are prone to buy, and they have a lot of conflict uh, about that. Um, their role of mom is primary. Uh, they do like to to see themselves as kind of that money manager in the home. Although they have a hard time saying no to the kids um, when it comes to non-essential items, and when it comes to friends, they certainly listen to their friends about where to shop and what to buy. Um, it actually influences them a ton. Um, and even they do seek out that advice proactively. Uh, they do take comfort in brands, however, and they will shop their favorite stores and looking for the brands that they know and trust. So where are they shopping? Gap, J. Crew, Eddie Bauer, um, Calvin Klein, Victoria's Secret are just a few of those. And when it comes to media, there are on a lot of media uh, that are family friendly, as you can imagine. Parents and parenting shape, real simple, um, good housekeeping among among just a few of the ones that are go-to, as well as on TV, Nickelodeon and Disney are huge as well. So you're not only reaching the kids, you're, you're reaching their moms. Well, my guest today knows uh, quite a bit about women, especially women in advertising. Denise Sutton is a Ph.D. and author of a book that came out a few years ago that really kind of took uh, a hard look at the ad world, specifically women in the ad world. It's called Globalizing Ideal Beauty, Women Advertising and the Power of Marketing. Uh, Denise lectures at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And, um, you know, at, back in 2009, I wasn't aware of the book. Today I am. I thought it was fascinating uh, study of kind of the early days of women on uh, Madison Avenue and, and kind of how they have changed and instituted this um, idealized um, outlook of women and what they should look like and um, what they should be choosing when it comes to brands and products and how to reach the masses. So we're going to have, I'm sure, uh, a very interesting conversation with Denise. So stick around. Purse Strings will be back in just a minute. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Purse Strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. If you're constantly struggling to find more customers, revenue, or hours in the day, Infusionsoft can help you have the business you've always wanted. For over 10 years, Infusionsoft has been helping business owners just like you find the financial freedom and peace of mind you've been searching for. I'm Scott Martineau, co-founder of Infusionsoft. If you're struggling to find more customers, more revenue, or more hours in the 
day, Infusionsoft is the proven solution you're looking for. Infusionsoft, the only all-in-one sales and marketing software created specifically for small businesses. Learn more at www.infusionsoft.com slash radio. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. You are now logged in to Real Time Digital. Emily Lee Blatt and Lauren Garcia analyze hot trends and chat with the in crowd of the digital world. Real Time Digital, on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. Joining me today is Denise Sutton. She's a PhD and author of Globalizing Ideal Beauty, Women, Advertising, and the Power of Marketing. She also lectures at the Fashion Institute of Technology. Denise, welcome to the program. Thank you, Maria. It's good to be here. Um, I'm really excited. I can't believe I didn't hear about this book when it came out in 2009. Uh, maybe my radar just wasn't up. I, I was doing the show back in 2009. would have been perfect to have you on then, but I'm thrilled to have you on now. Um, Tell me, if you will, how the book's been received in the years since it debuted. Well, I um, it's it's actually been received really well. It came out in 2009, and then just last summer it came out as a paperback. So in the publishing world, that means that it sold enough copy, copies to justify it coming out as a paperback. And I think maybe you didn't hear of it when it first came out because it was published under an academic imprint at Macmillan called Palgrave, and they really market to an academic audience. Oh, well, there you go. I'm definitely not go, an academic. Right? <laughs> right? So this is how it ends up in the classroom, although I always had this fantasy of, you know, a much broader audience for this book. And since it's come out in paperback, I think it has found a much larger audience. Well, and especially those of us in the business of advertising, PR, and marketing, I think it's just it's fascinating. So I feel a little bit better, Denise, that you explained it. Since I'm not in the academic world, I wouldn't have been exposed to it right away. But congratulations on the paperback, and I do hope that it's finding that that broader audience because I think it's it's fa- it's a fascinating study of how we truly can change perception for the long term. I mean, mm-hmm. what you did is you tackled the topic of women in advertising way back in the 1920s, which, you know, the, I think our frame of reference for advertising today is based on Mad Men. You know, right. and, oh, it has to have started in the 1960s, but right. it actually exactly. dates back, you know, to the 20s. What led you to tackle this topic to begin with? Well, first of all, I've always been interested in advertising. In fact, my mom used to threaten to put my homework to the tune of an adjunct jingle because I memorize them so easily, unlike my multiplication tables. Um, but later on, as an adult, uh, in grad school, I came across William O'Barr's book called Culture in the Ad. And in, his, um, and in this book, in the first chapter, there's a footnote where he mentions that there isn't really much written on the internationalization of U.S. advertising. And I really found that fascinating because 
to me, um, that means that American ideas are going into an international market. And, and what does that mean um, for that market? So as a gender scholar, I started to look for how women were involved in the story. And I came across Jennifer Scanlon's History of the Ladies' Home Journal. And in that book, I found the women's editorial department at J. Walter Thompson. And the department really formed in the 19-teens, and it was created by Helen Lansdowne Reeser, who was an, an advertising superstar. I mean, she really developed the Crisco ad campaign for P&G in 1910 and 1911. She was the first woman to appear in P&G's boardroom to present an ad campaign. So she was the superstar who moved from Cincinnati to New York City and started the women's editorial department and married the president of J. Walter Thompson about six years later. <laughs> I love it. I love Talk about upper, upperly mobile. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, well, and he, he probably was impressed with how smart she was. I'm Absolutely. Guessing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it, clearly Helen did well in, um, you know, crafting the women's editorial department, had a lot of success there. But in general, describe what life was like for those women in that department there at J. Walter Thompson. Well, first of all, J. Walter Thompson became known as a place uh, – for women's work in the business world because women weren't really able to move into the business world at that time. They didn't really have access to um, business schools to get that kind of training, and there was just really no way for them to get in that world. And it was really Helen Reeser who gave them that opportunity at J. Walter Thompson. A lot of the women that came to J. Walter Thompson, they had former careers in social work, some of them were teachers, some worked in publishing, some actually worked in advertising, uh, in-house advertising in department stores, and some of them worked for suffrage organizations, but they were all ambitious, really smart, um, really well-educated women, and they wanted some, uh, they wanted the prestige that came along with uh, having a place in the business world. Um, but at J. Walter Thompson, there actually was some tension uh, between the women's editorial department and some of the male executives, even some of the secretaries that work there. Um, there's this story about Ruth Waldo, one of the ad women that I love because it really shows this tension so well. The women that worked as copywriters, they must have been mistaken for secretaries all the time. Oh, I'm sure. Ruth Ruth Waldo um, was really tired of this, so one day she decided that all of the women's editorial department staff should wear hats to work, and that would differentiate them from the secretaries. And so she put the word out, all of the women showed up in hats, and the secretaries got wind of this, and so they started wearing hats to work, too. (laughs) So it wasn't just the tension with the men. Um, There was also some class tension there with the secretaries and the women. Um, but they were, they were really valued at J. Walter Thompson, and J. Walter Thompson um, advertised themselves as a place to go if you're trying to sell to women. So in trade magazines, they would place an ad highlighting the women's editorial department, saying if you want to sell to women, 
bring your account to us because we know what women want. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating. And clearly the women in the women's editorial department were affected not only by the gender um, issues and often the issues that they felt with their own genders in the workplace, but right. their own class status. And there were, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think in advertising we always, you know, talk about how can you separate yourself from your work. Well, it's so hard to do that. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how these women could or could not kind of separate themselves or if if the work became extensions of who their lives were at that time in that place. And uh, talk a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. Well, first of all, this group of women that came to J. Walter Thompson, they had very similar backgrounds. I mean, they were they were all really middle and upper middle class, white women who were well-educated. A lot of them went to the Seven Sister Colleges. They were part of this social network. And I think that what a lot of their ads reflect is this middle and upper middle class lifestyle that they were familiar with. But even so, they were familiar with what they were presenting visually and in terms of the copy there was still this aspirational component to the ads and that that really came through actually in the puns testimonial campaign that they put together but i think there's kind of two parts of the aspirational aspect one is how they're using that concept in the ads um, to present an image of a lifestyle that the consumer would be drawn to and you know, the woman reading the ad might put her play, put herself in the place of the woman in the ad, imagining herself in this, you know, spotless house with a perfect outfit on. Um, and then, then the other piece of that aspirational concept is that these women themselves were aspirational. Mm-hmm. They were ambitious. They wanted to move into the business world. And... Um, so that's kind of going on in their own personal lives and in the ads that they're creating. And those ads were really powerful and really spoke to a nation full of immigrants at that time, in the early 20th century. And I think that's one of the reasons why their ad campaigns were so successful, because they could really tap in to the aspirational piece. And while they spoke to immigrants and do you I mean clearly they were hugely successful across a whole swath of different types of consumers do you Mm -hmm. feel like it it kind of helps support maybe upper-class women's vision of their their lives what their lives were like and it so it resonated with them because it felt comfortable or do you still felt feel like it was pretty idealistic even for women in the upper echelons of the economy at that point Right. I think, you know, these images are really an idealized version of even an upper middle class life. So even though you might be looking at it at an ad that features uh the housewife um welcoming her husband home at the front door with her maid in the background, um and you know, the spotless house. I think everyone knows that that's fantasy, even I mean, and probably especially someone that is living that life. Um, so it is, it is very much idealized, although maybe part of the appeal for the upper middle class woman would 
would be to see that reflection of her life in the ad. Mm-hmm. So it does work on that level because she can recognize herself in the ad, but she knows that that's not her reality in a, in a sense because it is idealized. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, those ads spoke to them. And you already mentioned Crisco, you you mentioned P&G. What were some of the other really iconic brands or they were they were ads that created iconic brands, I guess, mm-hmm. at that point that you feel these particular women created that really reached the masses that we were talking about? Well, one of the products that I talk about in the book, in fact, I do an entire case study on Woodbury Soap. Um, that's one of the brands that the women at J. Walter Thompson really um, – that campaign was just incredibly successful. And the the slogan from that campaign, the first slogan was, a skin you love to touch. And that is really considered the first use of sex in advertising. And the image kind of went along with this slogan because it usually showed a variation of a woman um, and a man in an embrace and the man touching the woman's bare skin. And even though that doesn't sound very racy to us now, Ooh, it's right. very racy back in the 1910 <laughs> exactly. or 1920s. My goodness. Exactly. And um, so that was a wildly successful ad campaign um, for the women's editorial department. Pons was another one. Crisco, I mentioned. Lux Detergent was a very successful campaign for them. Uh, Q-Tex. Uh, nail products, sun-made raisins, um, but those are really the most well-known brands that they worked on. And uh, what they did and what made these ads really modern as opposed to the ads that came in the, came before in the 1800s was that they used this kind of science or scientific appeal in the ad. So in the Pons uh, campaign, they the slogan was "Every skin needs two cream, new two creams," and this was based on some scientific studies done at J. Walter Thompson. They had a research department there that was headed by John Watson, who was is considered the founder of behavioral psychology. And so they really um, emphasized the scientific research behind the product. So with Pons, it was like you need the whole kind of skincare system. One cream isn't going to do it. You need to use these two products together. And um, for Crisco, one of the slogans was a scientific discovery which will affect every kitchen in America because Crisco was really a brand-new product. Most of the women... During this time, they were using lard or butter or olive oil. And when Crisco came along, they really marketed it as this scientific discovery. And it was really, really successful. Mm. It's so interesting to hear you describe how these products are marketed because this still happens today. I mean, Mm -hmm. sex still sells. (laughs) Right. So the women in the women's editorial department were on to something way back in the day. Um, but but really, in all seriousness, there are things that began back in 
the women's editorial department images that started um, those iconic images, those um, idealized images that are still around today when we talk about fashion and beauty, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the women at J. Walter Thompson, they were really familiar with women's magazines, and this is probably where they started to see these images themselves, um, these idealized images of women. Um, and in fact, when they applied for this job at J. Walter Thompson, they had to fill out this incredibly lengthy application. And part of the application process was picking three ads. They could be from the Ladies Home Journal or Saturday Evening Post, but they had to pick three, and then they had to analyze the ads and talk about what made them effective. And mm. so they, they were, I, I got the sense that they were very much aware of this kind of visual vocabulary that already existed. And you might be surprised to hear that there were a lot of women illustrators creating images for the covers of magazines during that time. For instance, um, Nasa McMain was the exclusive cover artist for McCall's from 1923 to 1937. And J. Walter Thompson actually hired a number of freelance women illustrators. So it's kind of like another interesting piece of the story. You have women advertising to women, putting the ads together, and you have uh, a whole group of women illustrators creating the images. And I would say that the... Features of the women in these images that have really persisted are a fair complexion, a youthful glow, and kind of like these bee-stung lips. Mm -hmm. You just see it over and over and over, and I think that is still in existence today. And there's also this um, kind of uh, symmetry in the facial features. Um, and I often thought that that was directly connected to the kind of classical training in Western art that these women illustrators probably had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating how it's it's you know fast forward a hundred almost a hundred years later and and pick up any magazine and even though they're not illustrated covers anymore, mm-hmm. the women on the covers certainly emulate the description that that you just you just imparted. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come, we are going to fast forward 90 years, and we're going to talk about women in advertising today. So, Denise, stick around. Everybody listening, stick around. Purse Strings will be back in just a minute. Okay, time for something we can all relate to, shopping. Purse Strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. 
Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. The Hook with Katie Kempner, on demand anytime inside the advertising channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. I'm chatting today with Denise Sutton. She's the author of Global Eyes and Ideal Beauty, Women Advertising and the Power of Marketing. And we've been talking about these pioneering women in the ad biz way back in teens and 1920s. They were the women of the Women's Editorial Department at J. Walter Thompson and how they really set the stage or um, idealized images of women that have played out over the last 90 years. And, um, you know, women in the ad biz today, you know, clearly there's representation across multiple departments, Denise, but really only 3% um, are creative. And a lot of the work, as we know, comes from the creative department. Um, so I'm just curious because you're, you know, you, you deal with women's issues. You know, how far do you think we've come in the ad industry when it comes to including women and our diverse opinions, because just as the women of J. Walter Thompson had a huge impact of how women saw themselves, do you feel like we've actually reversed because we are there are fewer of us in the ranks today? I mean, I have heard that statistic um, of three percent uh, female creatives, and it's really it's really astonishing. I guess I shouldn't be that surprised because. Um, you do hear about this kind of um, shift in professions when they become established. So what I mean by that is when I started looking at the advertising profession around the turn of the century, it was really new. And the people that worked in advertising, they were really trying to establish it as a reputable profession. They were starting um, organizations and trade publications and those kinds of things. And it seems to be, looking back at a number of professions, when a profession is in the beginning stages, as advertising was in the early 20th century, 
there can be a bit more flexibility in roles for women, but it seems like once a profession is solidly established, the roles seem to revert to rigid mm-hmm. gender lines. And maybe this is in part what happened in advertising because the women's editorial department, from what I could tell from the archival material, really didn't last beyond the mid-50s into the 60s. I really didn't find anything in the archive about the women's editorial department. I mean, certainly the women's editorial department at J. Walter Tan- J. Walter Thompson had a champion in Helen Reeser. She really mentored these women. And maybe that's another thing that's missing in um, the creative area in advertising now, um, having these powerful mentors that are going to help women come up to, through the ranks and, and help them be successful in the creative departments. And I just think that leaders have to realize the importance of diversity in their agency. Um, if they have a diverse, if they have a diverse um, workforce, then they're just going to be able to address uh, many, many more people. I mean, it, it makes sense to me that if you have these diverse perspectives, you're going to reach more customers. Um, I also think it might be a similar problem that women face in other professions, and that is this kind of work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I never worked in advertising. I'm not sure if the creative department has these kind of crazy hours when they get an account and they're working all night and weekends. And since women are usually uh, the main caretaker of children, I'm not sure if that's a, a schedule that's conducive to having a family life. So. It seems like there might be a number of things contributing mm-hmm. to that. What do you think? I mean, yeah, no, you're you're right. I think a lot of it. You know, I can't talk about the maturation of the industry and how that impacts. You know, you certainly have a large perspective on that, but I think in large part, um, you know, ad agencies are still run by men. And it's no different than a lot of companies still being run by men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they employ the comfortable. And um, right. and I think, to women who come up in the ranks, and there are some very successful ad women, um, but, you know, it it is a demanding industry uh, from a time commitment. And, you know, you do a lot of traveling and um, it's a lot of late nights and a lot of weekends. And right. it's it's. I think that probably has a bigger impact because um, mm. I think agency leaders certainly value the diversity um, mm. and, and the different opinions that can come from from that diverse employee base, that diverse creative base. But right. hanging on to those people, I think, is challenging. And mm. I don't have the fix for it. I just know that there's certainly an impact from the creative work, I think, right. in it. And, you know, as, as far as the beauty business, um, which you're closer to, way closer to than I am. You know, I'm just curious if you think the beauty business, if, you know, we talked about how a lot of those images from the 1920s are still around. Do you do you see it? Have you seen it change in advertising? Do you feel like we're more progressive, less progressive? I mean, just looking at that industry specifically. Right. I think that two things have happened that are helping to change our perception of beauty. 
Um, one is the use of celebrities in advertising. I mean, now it's not uncommon to see Rihanna or Halle Berry on the cover of a magazine or even as a spokesperson for a line of cosmetics. So I think we're getting um, a glimpse of another kind of beauty. I mean, there are even some older women like Diane Keaton um, as a spokesperson and a kind of more non-conventional beauty like Who's the actress that plays Liz Lemon? She's actually a spokesperson oh, yeah. for Garnier now. Yeah, and yeah. She's like really known as a comedian. So I mm-hmm. think there are a few um, advances. I also think that cosmetic companies are developing and selling products for women of uh, more shades. Like they're acknowledging that there aren't just like two or three shades of skin. So they're really working to develop uh, lines of cosmetics that reflect that reality, that women do come in all different colors. And, you know, for those businesses, I could imagine it's great for their bottom line because they're capturing a larger market share that way. So I think those two things are um, helping. I mean, I think feel like we still have a long way to go. And I think that if women maybe were a little bit more vocal in what they responded to or um, absolutely despised in terms of an ad, that that would probably help. Mm -hmm. No, it would. You know, I think now more than ever, we have the ability to listen to the consumer. You know, we Mm -hmm. have a we have a way to go direct to consumers and get their immediate feedback. And right. um, and I think that in some cases, ad agencies do a very good job at that, especially on the front end. Uh, brands are doing a better job at listening and responding in real time than ever before because, of course, social is, is assisting us there. Mm-hmm. I do know that when real horrific ads hit, I mean, the community absolutely responds swiftly. And we've seen brands take down ads, remove ads because uh, they've not been, they've been very, very off target and the yeah. community has responded. I think what's in the gray area of maybe it's not a horrific ad or a horrible ad, but it's an ad that still perpetuates stereotypes and there's just not enough of an outcry there. However, when an ad campaign totally breaks through, like, you know, I think that the big one that people still talk about today is Dove's campaign for real beauty. Right. I mean, people still talk about it because it is really real and it's really authentic and it and it really struck a nerve with women and they were very positively vocal about it. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I think we just need to always challenge the work right. to make sure we vetted it with that consumer and really mm-hmm. garnered their input and not not reverted to our advertising as God mentality, which sometimes that can be the case <laughs> still today. But that's that's my two cents, and I don't want to continue to bore uh, you or the listeners with that. That's but I do think um, we have a long way to go, uh, but very grateful to the women of J. Walter Thompson for the work that they did in setting the stage, and for you for writing the book. Excellent book. And I know you Thank have you. another book coming out, but it's something really different. Right. Um <laughs> Actually, I'm working on a book about the romance publishing industry, and um, to me, it doesn't seem that different, and this is why. I, I see it as a book about the marketing of ideas 
to women. And that's how I look at the Globalizing Ideal Beauty book, how these women marketed ideas to other women. In romance publishing, which, by the way, is the most profitable segment of publishing, it outsells all other genders, it's written by women, edited by women, and consumed by women. For the most part, there are a few men romance writers and a few um, male editors. But um, it also idealizes love and romance. Um, so I'm really fascinated with that whole world of romance publishing. Um, but this time I actually get to meet and interview the women who are working in that industry, which I wished so many times I could get in a time machine and go back in time and talk to the women at J. Walter Thompson. Um, so for this book, I'm really excited to actually meet the editors, meet the writers, and meet the readers. I go to conf- I go to romance um, conferences and I meet the writers of romances and the readers. And um, as part of this book, I'm actually writing a romance novel myself. So, in, <laughs> so it's kind of like an ethnography in that way. I'm really yeah. immersing myself in that world and um, understanding why the romance novel is so popular. You know, they've actually segmented their audience in a way that advertisers and, and marketers do, and that it used to, romances really used to be a story about heterosexual love between white people. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. publishers realized, you know, there's an audience of African-American women who really want to read about their experience in love. They want to read about... Um, African-American women, and the same for the gay community and any other niche that you can think of. Um, Romance Publishing did a really good job in in figuring that out. Well, and the other thing I just want to throw in there, I don't know if you consider 40 Shades of Grey Romance or Smut, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) We're not going to get into that debate. Right, okay. The fact is no one can argue that it is hugely successful, and I was just reading that this very week it has knocked Harry Potter out of the number one uh, best-selling longest, I think it was the longest on the New York Times or something like that. Anyway, it it unseated Harry Potter. So that just tells you the power of romance and air quotes. Um, Fascinating, fascinating. So hopefully you'll include... Uh, the author of that um, in your in your book that you're coming out with. Now, when do we expect to be able to read that book? Do you have a a, day, a publishing date yet? I think that's going to be a, about a year, a year and a half out. Okay. I would really like for this book to come out as a trade book as opposed to an academic book for some of the reasons that we talked about at the beginning of the show. I, yeah. just, I would love to reach a wider audience with um, oh, and I think you would. I mean, considering the rabid nature of those readers, I think you, they mm-hmm. would probably eat it up, literally yeah. eat it up. Um, <laughs> Denise, we've run out of time, but thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on. Fascinating book uh, about the women's editorial department at, at J. Walter Thompson and looking very much forward to um, hearing more about that romance book uh, when that looms in the horizon, too. We'll have to get back on and we'll have to talk about that. So I'd love to. That's great. And everyone listening today, to learn more about Denise, check out her website, Denise H. Sutton, S-U-T-T-O-N, dot com. And thanks, Denise. Thanks, George. And join me right here for another edition of First Rings next Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. 
This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.